Hello, and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines, people just like you working to understand viruses and how they affect you. While our podcast has focused on coronavirus-related research over the past year, we are also interviewing researchers who study other viruses so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackray, and I'm hosting this podcast from America's Heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. On March 24, 2021, we talked with Dr. Hinasan Pascaline Cohio, a postdoctoral research associate in the Ding Lab at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, who has studied several different viruses. Pascaline got her MS in biology at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, where she studied influenza host interactions in the lab of Dr. Amy Adamson. She then received her PhD in microbiology and immunology at Western University in London, Ontario, Canada, where she studied HIV integration and latency in the lab of Dr. Stephen Barr. In early 2020, she worked as a postdoc in the Barr lab, repurposing a cancer therapeutic drug to potentially treat SARS-CoV-2. In the DING lab, she is currently focusing on rotavirus, an enteric viral pathogen in young children, and how it interacts with the host's small intestine. Hi, Pascaline. I'm happy to have you with us today. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you become interested in virology? You know, what kind of background did you have that kind of got you to where you are today? Sure. Thank you, Larissa, for having me today on this podcast. Um, as you already mentioned, my name is Pascaline Cohio. I'm originally from Burkina Faso in Western Africa. So I did most of my uh, primary and secondary school in Africa. And growing up there, I sort of noticed early on that uh, the research program in my home country was really limited, like the different resources were not available at that time, most of them. And also I noticed that there was a lot of endemic diseases, especially infectious diseases. So for instance, dengue, yellow fever, malaria, just to name a few. So that actually brought my interest in learning more about infectious diseases as a whole. And I was quite interested in the scientific aspect of that, learning more about the different processes that may lead to disease and hoping to gather those knowledge and be able to uh, contribute later on in the research program of my home country. So following my, uh, second, my secondary school in Africa, uh, since the, the educational program in, in my country was a little limited in the scientific aspect, there was not really a hands-on experience per se in, uh, in research, just like the different lectures that were offered. So I wanted to move into an institution where I would be able to expand my knowledge into that and have more practical experience in the research field. So I moved to the United States of America where I did my undergraduate in biology at uh, Armstrong Atlantic State University in Savannah, Georgia. Now the name has changed, so it's in under another name. <laughs> um, so there I, I did my biology program and uh, taking like several courses and now sort of like narrowed down my interest and I became more interested 
and focusing on virology specifically and learning more about the different mechanisms on how those pathogens interact with the host and might lead to diseases and also how we can uh, uh, gather those information and to prevent further infection and hopefully uh, lead to therapeutics as well. So following my undergraduate degree at Armstrong Atlantic State University, I moved to the University of North Carolina in Greensboro, where I did my Master of Science in Biology in the lab of Dr. Amy Adamson. Um, there, I mostly work on influenza infection, also looking at viral host cell interaction. And we had like some pretty good, like interesting study then we actually found that by uh, regulating glucose metabolism, we can actually control influenza viral infection. That was quite uh, interesting. So after my master again, I moved to another state, <laughs> uh, to another country, sorry. I actually moved to Canada where I did my PhD at Western University in London, Ontario. And uh, I work on HIV-1 uh, infection in the lab of Dr. Stephen Barr. Um, so on that particular project, so we focus on understanding how HIV uh, latency uh, induce like latency and what are like, is there like specifically something within the host genome where the virus may integrate itself and allow it to, uh, to be latent and dormant and doing a lot of uh, sequencing analysis, bioinformatic analysis, working with patient sample, we're able to identify like a novel host protein that uh, where the virus prefer to integrate itself to near. And this allowed the virus to like maintain those prolonged latency and that's why some most of the, the, the antiviral drugs are actually not effective against like curing the virus. So it's basically understanding this mechanism and how we can reactivate the latent pool and potentially clear the virus from infected individual. So before, before actually moving now to, to Washington to do my postdoc, during the pandemic, I was still in Canada, so I was able to have a short-term postdoctoral position within the same lab where I conducted my PhD. And then I was working on SARS-CoV-2 for a brief time, it was about four months. And uh, during that time, we were looking at um, different uh, um, cancer drug, like a cancer drug to see if we can repurpose that cancer drug to actually treat COVID. So on um, July of 2020, I left Canada and now I moved back again to the US where I'm currently in the lab of Dr. Sian, um, Dr. Sian Ding here and I'm working on rotavirus uh, infection. So basically, I will say that I've been moving around pretty very yeah. much trying like to gather expertise here and there, but that was quite a fun experience yeah. for me. Yeah. So I guess um, sort of to follow up on that, when you were moving to these different places, like when you first yeah. came to the United States or when you were choosing your different programs, how did you choose those specific programs or those specific labs? What did you look for as a student, you know, uh, like in an environment that, that you wanted to move to? 
Yeah. So after my undergrad, I was really interested in focusing on virology. So I started to look on into like different programs that uh, different schools offer. And I came across the lab of my, my PI done. And I was really fascinated about the work that she was doing, uh, especially in terms of viral host interaction. And I also wanted to focus on some of the, the pathogenic viruses that cause substance health bird, public health burden. So that kind, kind of like led me to like start off with like influenza. And uh, when I joined the department, we actually had to go through lab rotation. So I did my laboratory rotation in her lab and I also picked a couple of other laboratory um, uh, lab rotation, but I ended up joining her lab again because, like, as soon as like I started my rotation with her, I was really interested in the work, and I was also looking for an environment where there was a lot of like, uh, um, how can I put it? Um, guidance, especially for someone that came freshly from undergrad that does not have a lot of hands-on laboratory research experience. So I felt more comfortable joining that lab as well. So moving on for my PhD, again, I wanted to focus on like pathogen that cause a lot of health burden. And I was also interested on HIV-1 because that was also one of the uh, the predominant like infection currently in my home countries and the fact that it was uh, it's still actually a public health burden and I wanted to understand more on the aspect of uh, latency. That's why I decided to join the lab. The environment was also nice and also moving from another country to the other. I wanted like to have that experience as well and try to compare like the the educational system in Canada and then the US and and go from there. And then now I'm like back here in um in, in the United States. So for my postdoc, I wanted to gain more experience into uh, working with animal model. And when I was looking for postdoctoral position here, I came across uh, the research program of Dr. Dean here at WashU. And I was quite interested on the, the research program that he was like offering in his lab and gaining that experience or expertise in working with animal model for infectious disease diseases was quite interesting to me. Uh, and also the different uh, mechanisms and platforms such as CRISPR screening and also proteomic uh, analysis also caught my interest. That's why I contacted Dr. Dean and he was quite responsive and then everything went from there and I'm here in St. Louis. Um, and I guess to follow up on that as well, do you think that there are unique challenges for someone like yourself who is coming from another country, especially one that's overseas, coming to do undergrad, graduate, or even postdoc in the United States or in Canada? Are there unique sort of challenges that you have to overcome? A uh, unique sort of, well, I will say uh, when I moved from my undergrad to the U.S., that was, I felt like that was like one of the biggest challenge because I didn't, it's true that when I came, I did have my siblings, my elder siblings uh, were already here and one of my elder siblings I came with during that time. But the fact that I left my home country, that was quite challenging for me. So it took me about like a year 
to to feel more comfortable into the new environment. And one of the biggest challenge for me was that uh, the, the language barrier, even though I did have some experience like speaking in English, but uh, coming, uh, it, it's a little different like uh, speaking English at the college level compared to <laughs> everyday like speaking. Um, so it took me some time also to adapt myself into the, uh, the language and be more comfortable. So I think after a year, I was pretty comfortable. And the fact that I also stay for several years in the US moving to Canada wasn't quite challenging at that time. I was already used to, to that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about now what are the what's the virology research that you're doing now in this postdoc? In this postdoc, sure. So in the lab of Dr. Dean, we are currently working on rotavirus infection. So before I joined the lab, there were previous findings from Dr. Dean where he did uh, some proteomic analysis and he actually found that uh, the, uh, the spike protein that is called VP4 from the rotavirus interacted with a host protein that plays an active role in cell migration and uh, actin polymerization. And also since during uh, rotavirus infection, uh, it tends to migrate and most of the infection will occur at the apex of the villi. So we wanted to, to concentrate our, our study into that and see what our, um, what is the, the main role that host protein play with rotavirus infection. And that project also was focusing on looking at uh, its role in vivo as well as in vitro. So this is where the interest also came into. And one of the second projects that I'm currently working on came through some of the findings through CRISPR screen, where also that host protein uh, was um, uh, was uh, shown to have a role in rotavirus uh, infection. So we move forward to look more into the mechanism of this interaction and the role that this protein play in rotavirus infection. So those two projects are pretty in the early stage of the study, but are providing quite interesting uh, findings so far. And we hope to be able like to have like papers done and then publish soon, sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit, like, how do you study a virus like rotavirus? So when you talk about in vitro or in vivo studies, what kind of systems are you actually using? Um, so for in vitro study, we, um, some of the, the virus, we can use uh, a, a wild type strain of the virus. We also have some reverse genetic experiments that we did uh, to modify like the genome of the virus where we can like track the virus in, in vivo as well uh, through uh, specific staining of a fluorescent protein. And also we do a lot of viral uh, quantifications as well throughout this study. And does the virus infect a specific type of cell? Yeah, so the virus does mainly infect uh, um, intestinal cells, uh, epithelial cell of the small intestine. And uh, so we primarily work with those type of cell and there are also other type of cell that the virus can infect that this is not really uh, 
cell that the virus will infect. And then in vivo, do you have a small animal model of rotavirus infection or um, are you developing it? Uh, so for MAF, in general, we have like a, a model, a mouse model for rotavirus infection. Uh, we usually use the 129 uh, strains uh, that we use for our experiment. But going back to one of my projects, uh, have, uh, we haven't bought it yet, but there are actually mouse models uh, where we can, uh, we, can, we can get that has um, deletion of that particular protein of interest that we could later use to, to have more specific analysis into how we study, focusing on those particular protein as well. Yeah, sounds like you're just at the beginning, so that's very exciting. Um, so I guess looking back so far, what has been the most exciting sort of observation you've had scientifically? I think for me, uh, I would probably say it was a couple of years back during uh, my PhD, actually. This was like one of the studies that was really not expected because I started off with one particular area of my project. It was working pretty fine. But then later on, it was just like, I will say serendipity per se. <laughs> so we just like tried some of the patient sample and then we found like very interesting data into those and that led like my project to move forward into that aspect of my disease basically so most of those that actually happened during the, the last year or so of my phd and this were quite fascinating and the fact that i was also excited to be able to work with uh, more with like sample and that could be easily translated in during like infection in human and I guess, conversely, what's been the most difficult thing you've had to overcome as a scientist so far? And how, how did you overcome it? Ooh, okay, so for me, <laughs> I think I'm someone that can get easily impatient with my work. Um, because I like stuff to be done like a particular way. And then especially like with research, there are different challenges. and. Uh, sometimes like your experiment may not move forward like the way you will want to do and i get really impatient and frustrated um i will say that uh, i haven't really it's still a work in progress for me to be able to <laughs> to control myself and not get depressed or, or sad or think i'm like a failure because my experiment is not working but one person that actually like helped me through this process is my PhD mentor, Dr. Stephen Barr. He's someone who is like really positive. He has like a positive view about like science and research in general. So whenever you come with like negative data, you're like sad and everything. He always like have this positive attitude that will like put you back up and then you you just continue with your work and there was one quote from thomas edison that he really likes like to tell us is i haven't found um i i haven't felt i just found like ten thousand ways that won't work so he always keeps like repeating that to to me and also to my other lab mates then so that was quite encouraging so i believe like through him and the positive attitude i sort of like got that 
for him from him and then now i'm like more positive about like my work if it doesn't fail i don't like think it's the end of the world or something <laughs> yeah um i guess sort of following along with that if you had a chance to ask your older self so say you at 60 or 70 one question what would it be what would you want to know what i will want to know i believe for me is i want to know if i feel fulfilled uh for me like being fulfilled is um is knowing that what your work that you have been doing has a positive impact on other people's life and not only like work-wise but also in your personal life have you been like a positive person to our others have you been have you been like kind to our orders? Like, I think like having this sense of fulfillment for me, this is one of the questions that I will ask myself in the older age. Yeah. <laughs> and just sort of to follow up on that, do you find ways, you know, because science can be very consuming, do you find ways outside the lab to get that sense of fulfillment? Um, and if so, how do you do it? Do you have hobbies or other things that you do? Yes, I have some hobbies. I like like to, to go out and walk. And I also like, like to walk out at home. And I'm someone who, it might be funny, but I like to clean. <laughs> so when... <laughs> Yeah, so sometimes like when I come from the lab and I feel a little depressed and tired, I just start cleaning and listening to music. It's a way of comforting to me. I don't know. <laughs> it may sound weird, but <laughs> yeah. Um. And then I guess, um, so it'll be kind of interesting. So since you actually started out in Canada during the, when the pandemic first started and then moved to the US, can you kind of describe how that was? What, what were the differences? How did it affect you as a person in the two different countries? Yeah, cause like I was still in Canada when everything pretty much started. And the thing was, uh, I I was planning to come to uh, to the US to start my postdoc and everything got delayed. So I stayed in Canada, that didn't happen. And also during that time period, my best friends was getting married in my home country. I couldn't attend because of everything. It was quite challenging and also being uh, by myself, like I was the only member of my family living in Canada, even though I had friends, but everyone pretty much went to the current house. So I was just there in my apartment. It was a little bit challenging at first and always being also stuck and listening to news didn't help also. <laughs> yeah, that didn't really help as well. But uh, talking to family members uh, back home, and being in touch with friends and loved ones really helped me through uh, these challenges, even though I was uh, back in Canada on my own. So when I moved to the US, uh, I was pretty okay so far dealing with the different challenges of the pandemic. Um, and also, um, Dr. Dean was like really supportive and helping me like to, uh, to adapt like the pandemic just coming like into it like that so that was quite helpful 
And how about, do you still have family back home? How, how's, how's the pandemic been for them? Yeah, I still have my family back home. I have my siblings there and uh, my mom is still uh, back home. Uh, my dad passed away. Uh, he was still like back home too. Um, so uh, early on, I think the, the government actually took the pandemic ser seriously. Like there were like curfew, there were like certain times of the day where people were not allowed to stay outside. So that pretty much like helped to curve down like the, the pandemic. And also having like strict regulation, like when people were not uh, following that, the, they may get fined or something like that. So people were like forced to like follow the guidelines and everything. Um, lately, however, we started to see a little increase in the cases. So I believe currently we are above 11,000 cases and 350 or so cases, active cases. Um, the cases are starting to rise slowly, but uh, I, I think the government will uh, hopefully like continue to push forward into the guideline and make sure everything doesn't escalate. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's very different now is obviously in the US, um, you know, we obviously had many issues with, you know, rampant infection, but now we've actually, you know, really started vaccinating yeah. people. And so we've got this cohort of people that are vaccinated. Um, how in back home are they, are, do you have access to vaccines in your country or no? Oh, at the moment, they don't have access to the vaccine, but some of the neighboring countries did started their uh, vaccinations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that, that, that's a, so how does that make you feel in a way that I assume you were offered the vaccine working at the university, but that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. your family members, I mean, I think they're talking in the news that some countries may not get access to vaccines until like 2023. <laughs> something like that what do you think about that how does that make you feel it's it's not a pleasant uh, situation i would have wished that like everyone could to have access to the vaccine and i do hope that our government would do everything possible and acquire some vaccine at least to give those to the most vulnerable uh people population in my country so that will be quite uh, essential. Okay, so as a virologist, um, how have you thought about the way that you move around in society, whether to get vaccinated or not? How do you think about things like that? For me, I'm like someone who's like really follow guidelines. <laughs> I am like really strict into those. And I try to, to talk to loved one and family to make sure that they stick to those guidelines to protect not only themselves, but others as well. And with respect to the vaccine, uh, for me, actually, um, at first, I was a little bit hesitant, but I did took the time and then read all the protocols that were offered and available to the public. And from there, I made my decision to get my doses and also getting like advice from uh, my uncle, who is also a little bit in the science field, who recommended that will be a good idea if I'm offered the opportunity to take one, I should go ahead and do so. 
Yeah. And I guess back in your home country, how do they view vaccination in general? Talking to my mom lately, it seems that most people are really hesitant sometimes about the vaccine, but I try to make her understand, no, people don't have to be hesitant, like, if us, we are taking it and we are fine, how come, like, if others take it, it won't be okay. It's not like something to be hesitant uh, uh, from taking. But sometimes I do understand like people's point of view. Some of them may not have like a full understanding of like how vaccines are developed. So it's sort of like cause this hesitancy also to our vaccine, not only for COVID, but other vaccines in general. Um, when you're talking to her, like what kind of her, what, what, what are her concerns in a way? And how do you sort of talk about that? For me, talking to people from my home country, I believe one of the major concerns are the long-term side effects, not the short-term side effects. Some people think that maybe down the line, like years from now, they may experience some severe side effects that may affect their life in general. So that's why there are more hesitant to take the vaccine. But I'm trying to make them understand, no, this won't happen. You should be okay. (laughs) Great. So uh, I guess any last messages for our listeners? Um, I'm kind of interested in, for you, like what really was sort of the spark in the beginning? So what, what set you off on this path of being a virologist? What really set me off into this path is just uh, seeing like the different endemic diseases in my home country. I wanted to be able to like after my academic and professional career, I wanted to be able like to to come back in my home country and to be able to help within that particular area of science that is not well developed in my country. So this is basically one of uh, the major goal and the things that like really push me into uh, that field specifically. So I guess looking into the future, are you thinking that you would go back to your own hunt? your country to set up your lab there or do you want to have a lab elsewhere and work on diseases that are applicable to your your country what what do you see happening so what i'm seeing happening is uh, first get all the professional experience i could get like outside of my country even if down the line i'm still outside of my country i'm hoping to be able to establish a lab in my home country where i could work in collaboration with other scientists and researchers and just like travel back and forth between the two countries and i did notice a lot of like researchers do do those kind of 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 work in the field so this is how i want like to split my expertise back home and in a foreign country well um i wish you the best um it was nice talking to you today thank you Ascaline hopes to establish her own lab in the future, focusing on viruses that impact people in her home country. This has been Let's Meet the Virologist, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, and other podcasts, or at lmtv.podbean.com.